BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. The legends are true. But overwhelming power. The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Donald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks Podcast. As always, I'm John Connor. I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying true crime case. Before we get started, Olivia, how are you? We are recording late. It's almost 11 o'clock. We're getting a late start on it. How are you doing? How has your week been? Are you going to make it? I don't know. I'm doing good. The week's been long. I'm off tomorrow, so that's fine that we're recording really late, but I'm going to make it. I need to be John on caffeine tonight. How are you? I am good. You know, I've actually cut out caffeine for the I have my coffee in the morning and then I've been down to one soda a day. But I knew that we were recording late. So I'm actually having my second one right now. So look out, Internet, because I'm about to go off. 
Well, if you would have waited like an hour and 12 minutes, you would have had it tomorrow. So technically it would have been your one for the day. Yeah, it's all right. I'll get it in. I figured I need a little pep in the step, but I'm glad that you have a day off coming and you get to sleep in and enjoy that a little bit. It has been an eventful day at our house. I know we were talking a little bit before, but Millie has locked me out of the house today and then couldn't unlock the door to let me back in. So I had to teach a four-year-old how to unlock a window so that I could shove my rather large body through a (laughs) rather small window. And this kid halfway through me trying to get in had the audacity to say, dad, I don't think you're going to fit. So I had a really hard time with that. But we made it. And then she also discovered the Jonas Brothers today. So we, uh, I don't know if you remember, did you watch all that when you were a kid? Yeah, I had the all that club at my house. Me and my friend Kim Kathy and my sister and her sister, we all did um, the all that club. Oh, nice. What up, Kim Kathy? Shout out if you're listening. But I, know, I don't know if she listens or not. Yeah, we watched it growing up and I showed it to Millie today. Like some of the ones that I watched when I was a kid and she was just laughing the mm-hmm. whole way through. And then we found out that like a couple of years ago, they rebooted it and started like a new series and it's produced by Keenan and Kel. So we watched that and the Jonas Brothers were musical guests and I looked over and she was just kind of like bobbing her head. She was like, dad, this music is really good. Is that I'm a sucker for you song? I'm a sucker Mm -hmm. for you. And she was like bobbing her head and like getting really into it. So apparently we have a Jonas Brothers fan in our house now. So (laughs) add that to the list. That'll be a lot of fun to listen to 30 times in the car. Right. But anyway, I digress. We are here today to talk about some true crime. This is episode number 51. And also we're like a week away from our one year anniversary, which is kind of crazy that we've been doing this for almost a year. Yeah, I know. I was just sent you on our um, on my Facebook memories that we were five days away from putting out our first two episodes of the podcast. So that's so wild that we are right at a year. Yeah, that is crazy because when I look at the calendar, today is the 27th. So this episode that we're listening to now, last year when we launched, we launched on May 2nd. So this episode that we're recording now is actually going to drop on the 1st. So this is technically... 364 days? Yeah, like the one-year anniversary episode. So happy one-year anniversary. Oh my goodness. It's crazy. I know we talked about it a little bit last week, but it is just kind of nuts to think that we've done all these episodes and just so happy that we are getting to do this together. I couldn't imagine a better partner to go into this with and get to talk about these crazy stories every week with. So super happy I get to hang out with you. I know. I'm so excited and happy that we do this. I still am just mind blown at the response we got from our just our little podcast. Um, But I think I brought a doozy and I didn't even plan that out. But I brought a good one for our year, our year anniversary. Happy anniversary, John. Happy anniversary. Maybe one day, eventually, we'll get to do one of these episodes in person. I can't believe it's been a year and we have still never been in the same room at the same time. That's kind of crazy to me. I know. I was planning on it this summer, but we'll see. Well, I know you said you brought a doozy. You sent me over your notes. I have to tell you, I am a little bit familiar with this case. Probably one of my favorite true crime movies is based on this story. And this actually lines up really well because I didn't know you were bringing this one. I asked in the Facebook group recently, hey, what is your favorite movie based on a true crime case? Did anybody put this one on there? No, they didn't. So I'm really excited to go through it. We could talk a little bit about the movie at the end, but it just fits really well. And it was completely on accident. So I was kind of pumped about that. This week, I'm just going to jump right in and kind of tell everybody who we're talking about, because I think this is a pretty popular story, but I had never really read about it or heard about it or even seen the movie. But now I'm intrigued and definitely going to watch the movie this weekend. But we're going to talk about the butcher baker. Robert Hansen. I am definitely down. I say we just go ahead and get on into it. 
All right, so you got to bear with me, John. It kind of bounces around from years and decades, but just stay with me, okay? Oh, I'm along for the ride. Let's do it. All right. In 1971, real estate secretary Susan Hepperard was walking to her house when she was violently attacked. She was held at gunpoint, but eventually able to escape. Later, Susan was able to identify the man. In December 1971, Patricia Roberts was working the streets of Anchorage when she was approached by a man asking for oral sex. Once in his car, she was held at gunpoint and taken 160 miles away from the city. She was sexually assaulted, but was able to convince the man to bring her back safely to Anchorage. She, too, was able to point out her attacker with police, Robert Hansen. Hansen told police that he was innocent and that he and Roberts got into an argument over money. He took a plea deal for five years in prison for assault with a deadly weapon against Susan Hepperard. The charges against him for Patricia Roberts were dropped in return for a no-contest plea. Robert was released just six months after his sentencing. Yeah, and this is exactly the story that I am familiar with. And as we dive into it, I mean, if you don't know just from, you know, these first couple parts of the story, Robert Hansen was a bad dude. And I think as we go along, if you are not familiar with the story, it's going to kind of blow your mind a little bit. So I'm excited to get in. Should we talk a little bit more about his background, stuff like that? Yeah, Robert Christian Hansen was born in Esterville, Iowa on February 15th, 1939. He spent most of his youth in Pocahontas, Iowa. The Hansen family was like any other Midwestern family. His father, Christian, was a Danish immigrant that worked at a bakery. His mother, Edna, helped around the family business and raised Robert. As a teen, he was timid and did not talk much to his classmates. He made bad grades in school. Robert had a stutter and girls weren't really attracted to him. Robert described himself saying he, quote, looked like a freak. It was during these formative years that he developed a passion for hunting. He and his father had a difficult relationship as Mr. Hansen was very old school and strict. In 1957, Robert joined the Army Reserve. It is said that he had his first sexual relations with a prostitute in New York while he was away with the Army. Later, he would work for the Pocahontas Police Academy as an assistant drill instructor. In the summer of 1960, Hansen met a younger woman and later married her, but this marriage would not last long. Then in October 1960, Hansen took revenge for all the torturous years he had in school by setting fire to the school bus barn. According to a quote from Hansen, he hated the word school and would do anything to make it suffer. He was arrested for arson and sentenced to three years. While he was in prison, he was diagnosed with manic depression and schizophrenia, making note that he had infantile personality and obsessed over people who felt wronged him seeking revenge. He was released in May of 1963. Meanwhile, as he was serving his time, he got divorced and his family moved to Minnesota to open a summer resort. After he was released, Robert spent some time around the resort when he met Darla. The pair began dating and married a short time after. Robert and Darla moved to Anchorage, Alaska in 1967. Hansen had hopes for a fresh start on life. Darla was a scholarly woman with a master's degree in education. She taught children with learning disabilities. Darla and Robert had two children, Christy and Johnny. Robert took after his father and opened a bakery called Hansen's Bakery. Robert was well-liked in his new community in Alaska. Darla joined the church, and most knew Robert, though he did not attend. Their pastor, Wayne Coggins, said that Robert was a quiet and friendly guy that owned the local bakery. He made many friends who enjoyed hunting, too. Robert would fly him and his friends on his plane to remote hunting locations. One of these friends would be Marshall Ellison. Ellison knew Darla from church and suggested the two become acquainted because of their love for hunting. Now, in 1976, Hansen continued to rack up the criminal record. He was sentenced to five years in prison for larceny after he stole a chainsaw. He was ultimately released early for time served. 
So Olivia, as we've been going through this, I mean, I know we were talking about Hanson's background. I think it's very clear to see that he had some trouble growing up. Like it definitely seems like there's some, maybe some mental health issues, you know, when you're burning down a, a school bus barn because you just hate school and you want revenge as an adult, there's got to be some cross wires there. So I didn't know if you were picking up on the same thing. Yeah. When I was first like going through all of this, I was thinking he was like younger when all this was happening, but I think he was around like 32 or in his late twenties, early thirties. And so I'm like, this man is a grown adult doing this. You should be moved on beyond your hatred for school. Well, yeah. I mean, he's been in the army at this point. He's been a drill instructor, you know, so it's just like those days are behind you, man. It's time to move on. A hundred percent. Now, before Hansen's chainsaw arrest on December 22nd, 1971, Celia Van Zanten, who was only 18 years old, set out to the local grocery store around 9 p.m., but she never arrived. Her body was found three days later on Christmas morning at Chugach State Park. Her chest sliced with a knife and she was sexually assaulted. Evidence proved that she was bound and dumped alive, but died due to the environment because it was in December and very cold. In Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the Arctic tundra. On July 7th, 1973, 17-year-old Megan Emmerich was abducted, leaving her dorm laundry room and was never seen again. Then on July 5th, 1975, Mary Kathleen Thill, 22-year-old, disappeared when she went to the local bakery. Like Megan Emmerich, she was never seen again. Now, I've never been to Alaska, but apparently in the 1980s, during the peak oil money, the city was flooded with people coming there to get rich. The nightlife was happening The dance clubs were happening. Topless bars were popping up on every corner. Heavy cocaine use and prostitution was going on. And police seemed to just ignore it and have more of a tolerance for it. And 4th Avenue was known as the red light district in Anchorage. Yeah, I think in the 80s, kind of like everywhere was like, we do a lot of cocaine. (laughs) Uh, I have a friend, I won't say his name because I don't want to like throw anybody under the bus. But his dad enjoyed it in the 80s and was like, yeah, it was just like everybody was doing it, man. Like nobody knew that it was bad for you. And we were just having a good old time, you know. And I'm sure if people are coming to Alaska and drilling, they're making all this money off oil. It's like, yeah, why not have some like topless bars and nightclubs and stuff? Like I'm making money. I came to party. It's just crazy because it's so far north and so cold. Like my brother-in-law is actually moving to Alaska. And I'm like, I don't know how you could do that. Yeah. He's moving in a couple months, but just like, I don't know how you could do it, man. So hopefully I'll get to go see him and check it out, but it's crazy. You're going to have to go in the winter and in like the summertime so you can see all the weather. I heard you say you just need to go in the summertime. I think that's exactly what I'm going to (laughs) do. I'm from Michigan. So like Michigan winters are enough for me. I don't need anything more, more intense, more aggressive than a Michigan winter. So back to talking about Anchorage in the 1980s. When I was doing my research, it was talking about how these women who were dancers um, at these topless clubs, as we'll say, um, were like basically flown from like Anchorage to somewhere, I think, in Washington and then somewhere down in California. And they would kind of just like rotate this cycle, um, which I thought was interesting. So these women would like just come and go for short periods of time. Yeah, I'm sure there's like a circuit where it's like, oh, I can go here during like a busy season. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if it gets too cold or something like that, then I can go to this place. And I'm sure that there's, you know, kind of like a route that they have, which it makes a lot of sense. Now, on July 20th, 1980, the remains of a young white female were discovered in a shallow grave next to an access point for electrical workers. Her body was mostly consumed by wildlife. Detectives believe the young woman was a sex worker or a dancer based on her attire. There were no reports of a missing person and no identification. 
Police had no leads naming her Eklutna Annie. Crime specialists were able to create a digital image of what she could look like as they had most of her skull. So basically what they did is they put her skull together and then kind of the pictures of it almost look like they were designing like a face mask of what her face could potentially look like. It's kind of creepy. Like it looks like a weird picture of a weird doll. It sounds like one of those 3D renderings. Like, I don't know if you've ever seen, but it's like, this is what the Pharaoh of Egypt would have actually looked like. And they do the mm-hmm. computer. And then Eklutna, is that the city that she was found in? Because it sounds like it's like an indigenous name. So I didn't know. Yeah, it was the city where she was found. Okay, that makes sense. All right. Maxine Farrell with the Anchorage Police sent this image all throughout Alaska. Farrell was one of the first two female police officers on the Anchorage Police Department. She was on the homicide unit and had a degree in psychology, but wasn't taken seriously by her colleagues. Farrell began investigating all the missing persons reports. She noticed that about every month, two to three females were reported missing. Farrell started asking questions and suspected that there might be a serial killer on the loose in Alaska. She had 10 missing women she believed could have all disappeared the same way. When she brought this to her colleagues' attention, it was laughed off. She interviewed family members and took note of the jewelry the women reportedly wore. Like she studied, she knew serial killers liked to keep souvenirs. With all this information, Officer Farrell notified Sergeant Glenn Floth with the Alaska State Police. The two compared their missing persons list. However, Maxine was forbidden to work alongside the men with the Anchorage Police and the State Police. Sherry Moreau was a 23-year-old topless dancer who would sell nude photos of herself to help make ends meet. She met a man at Good Times Nightclub where she and her roommate Susan worked at. At night, Susan was approached by a creepy gentleman at the nightclub who wanted to take her out, but she quickly denied. The next morning, Sherry told Susan that she was going out with a man she met at the club. The pair were planning to take his plane out towards the Nick River. Susan warned Sherry that his name was Robert and he left a very unsettling feeling with her. Sherry was adamant to go on the date. So Susan walked Sherry to the location where she was to meet him, and sadly, Sherry never returned home. On September 12, 1982, two hunters, including Officer John Daly, stumbled upon a partially decaying white female buried in a shallow grave. Daly said there appeared to be denim in the snow, which seemed to have skin underneath. The body had had an ace bandage wrapped around her head. She had a single gunshot wound to the right chest. The wound was found to be from a 233 caliber rifle as a shell casing was found. Now, on May 19, 1980, 24-year-old dancer Joanne Messina went on a date with Robert Hansen while she was working at the nightclub in Seward, Alaska. Joanne offered sexual favors in return for cash. Sadly, Hansen had other plans. He took Joanne out to a place near the Snow River and shot her with a 22 caliber revolver. On July 8, 1980, her body was found severely decomposed and the local wildlife had been feeding on her remains. She too was found in a shallow grave with her belongings being close by. Police were lucky to find the revolver near the river. April 25, 1983, Paula Golding was working in Anchorage as a dancer when she was offered money for oral sex by Robert Hansen. He proceeded to take her on his plane, handcuffing her along the way. At the landing field, Hansen told Paula about the meat shack that hunters would use to skin their kills. He told her they would be spending the night in the building. Paula attempted to escape, but Hansen shot her with a 233 rifle. She was also buried in a shallow grave. On September 2, 1983, Paula's remains were found near the Nick River. In the meantime, Robert Hansen was trying to find someone he could build a relationship with. He met Karen O'Leary through Anchorage newspaper ads for singles called Sunday Singles. Karen said Robert was a nice guy, but he had a stutter. He confided in her about his childhood and how he was teased growing up. 
Robert suggested to Karen that they take out his plane and go to a remote location for a date. However, when they arrived to his airplane, the wind was too strong to fly. Karen went to Robert's house instead. She recalls that his own dog ran and hid from him when they arrived. He took her to the basement where he had several of his animal kills mounted on the wall. She specifically remembers Robert asking her to have sex with him on his bearskin rug, to which she politely said no. Robert did not force her. He seemed to like Karen and let her go. Now jumping back to June 13, 1983, Officer Greg Baker was patrolling and training Officer Wayne Vance when they were dispatched to Fifth Avenue for reports of a woman running naked in handcuffs. This woman was 17-year-old Cindy Paulson. Cindy was a sex worker who frequented the corner of Denali and Fifth Avenue. She told police that a man approached her offering $200 for oral sex in his car. When Cindy got into the car, she was handcuffed. He told her not to scream or he would shoot her. He proceeded to take her to his house where she described all the animal heads mounted on the wall. She also told police that she was raped with a chain wrapped around her neck on a large bear rug. Cindy recalled being down in this basement for five hours planning how to escape. At this time, she was told they were going to go fly in his plane to his cabin in the woods to spend the weekend. Cindy knew that if she did not escape, she would not live. Cindy fortunately was able to run away. Paulson agreed to a sexual assault examination and was able to remember the numbers on the tail wing of the plane. When police investigated it, it was found to belong to none other than Robert Hansen. Police immediately knew that they had their guy, but now they had the task of proving it. Hansen agreed to go to the station for questioning. Little did he know that police were at his home searching for physical evidence. The basement was exactly as Cindy Paulson described, including the large bear rug. Hansen was able to convince police that Cindy was just a sex worker and lying because they could not agree on money. After three long weeks, nothing came of Cindy Paulson's case and the investigation was closed. This did not sit well with Greg Baker and he started to look into Robert Hansen. What he found was shocking. Robert Hansen had quite the run-in with the law dating back to 1971. Baker continued to pursue his suspect. And in September 1983, he told state police that he thought all of these missing persons and murders were done by Robert Hansen. What Alaska police did not know was that the FBI had already created an offender profile based on the three bodies they recovered. They believed their suspect would have experience with hunting, have low self-esteem, and have a history of being rejected by women. They believed he would keep souvenirs from the victims and would likely have access to a plane. Officer Greg Baker handed the FBI the missing puzzle piece. Robert Hansen's name. Now on to arrest him. Alaska State Police approached Assistant DA Frank Rothschild for a search warrant. They needed inside Hansen's home. The plan was to lure Hansen to the police station. And on October 27, 1983, Hansen sat before detectives with several folders in a pile, all with his name on the outside. Police told Hansen in the first interview that they knew about him and his past, hoping to get a confession. They showed him pictures of all the women's bodies found along the Nick River. But Hansen continued to deny his part in these murders. He stuck to his story that they were sex workers and he was just a good guy who owned a bakery and enjoyed hunting. Meanwhile, police called back Maxine Farrell to assist in the search of Hansen's home, knowing she would have a keen eye to spot the jewelry missing from these women's bodies. Detectives searched the entire house, including the basement, with no luck again for physical evidence. They found an aviation map with several markings but continued to search. One detective set off to search the attic. What he would find would shock everyone. Tucked away in the insulation were multiple rifles, one being a .233 matching the bullets found from Sherry and Paula's bodies. As the detective was leaving the attic, he spotted a plastic bag tucked in the insulation. 
This bag was full of jewelry matching the images that Maxine Farrell knew she would find. Hansen was immediately arrested and charged with murder. Police believe Hansen had learned from his earlier arrests in the early 70s. He was not to pick the nice girls, but instead hunt sex workers and dancers. Hansen felt that no one would believe these women. He told police that he, quote, could do things with these women that he couldn't do with good women. Now, on February 19, 1984, after four months of being in prison, Hansen called his pastor, Wayne Coggins. Coggins recalled him asking, what kind of sins does God forgive? And three days later, on February 22, 1984, Robert Christian Hansen confessed to killing Sherry, Paula, Joanne, and attacking Cindy. He had told police that he did not intend to kill any of the women as long as they went along with what he wanted. He said that if it didn't go his way, then they, quote, stayed, meaning they were killed. He blamed the women for their misfortune, saying if they would have listened, they wouldn't have died. Now, remember the aviation map police found when they were searching his house? I do. Yeah, here's a twist. Well, initially, they didn't think anything of it until one of the detectives thought that they could actually be looking at grave sites. And that is exactly what it was, 21 of them to be exact. Police started to search each X only to find a body at each one. What Hansen did not know was now that police had more on him than he realized. When he was asked about all the women, he confessed to 17 murders. He told the same story over and over, that he did not plan to kill any of the women, but when they ran, he had no choice but to shoot them. Using Hansen's map, Alaska State Police were able to locate seven more bodies between April and May of 1984. Again, Hansen continued to tell these horrendous stories about killing all of these women. He told police that he could only do these things to quote bad girls and not good girls. And in his mind, bad girls are only looking for money and good girls were actually interested in him. He said that early on, he could not ask his wife to perform oral sex on him, that only bad girls could do this, thus starting his fascination with sex workers. It was believed that his motive was to pick up sex workers in his car, force them at gunpoint to his home, where he would rape them and fly to a secluded location where he would hunt these women as if they were wild game before shooting them as they ran away. On February 27, 1984, during his sentencing, the judge said, Before you sits a monster, an extreme aberration of a human being, a man who has walked among us for 17 years serving us donuts, danish, and coffee with a pleasant smile. His family was a prop. He hid behind decency. This hunter who kept trophies on the wall now has trophies scattered throughout south-central Alaska. And while he doesn't talk about it or admit to it, it's obvious looking at where things started and where the women ended up. He hunted them down. He let them run a little bit just like with his big game animals. Robert Hansen was sentenced to 461 years plus life for the murders of Sherry Morrow, Paula Goulding, Eklutna Annie, and Joanne Messina, plus the kidnapping and rape of Cindy Paulson. So that's it, John. That's the butcher baker. It is so crazy because no matter how many times I hear about this story, it still blows my mind. And it's very interesting to hear all the facts laid out as compared to like watching the film about it, because there are a lot of similarities and obviously it's a movie. So there's a lot of dramatizations and stuff like that. But as we were going through, I'm like, oh, I remember that from the movie. Like I remember when they were searching the attic and they at first they didn't think they found anything and they're feeling all distraught. And it was just that one guy who decided, like, I'm going to go up and look for this. And it's just crazy to think that somebody who is wired like this 
moved to a remote area. He was able to find women that he could prey on that were in a like section of the population that, you know, just aren't protected. And then he had access to a plane so he could just fly them off. You know what I mean? It's like the perfect mm-hmm. storm of being messed up and having these things at your disposal to do these horrible, horrible acts. I don't know. This story is absolutely crazy. Yeah. And I didn't, I mean, there's 21 women. They think that he, between raping or trying to attempt kidnapping or murdering that I didn't even talk about. I focused on the ones that he was actually just charged for. So when you read about him or probably watch the movie, there are so many more women that I didn't even talk about that he did these same similar things too. I mean, each one of those markings on the map, I mean, you can Google a picture of the map and see it. And it's just mind boggling that just each one of these exes was a a woman's body, just dead in nature. Yeah. And in the movie, I remember it was 24. There was like 24 markings on the map. But I also remember them talking about how they had to wait for the ground to defrost because the ground was frozen. Mm -hmm. And so when you said they found seven more bodies between, you know, April and May, that made a lot of sense because it's like, it's so cold up there. You can't go digging for bodies or anything like that until the ground thaws. So just kind of putting myself in those detective shoes and being like, you're just having to wait months to see what you're going to find. And then to find those remains, it's just got to be a crazy emotional roller coaster. He was whacked out for sure. There were some cross wires. The anticipation the police must have had. Like just that waiting game, knowing like we have to go check all of these places and time is of the essence because it is a frozen tundra and they have to act quickly. Yeah. And for those who haven't seen the movie, it's actually called The Frozen Ground and Nick Cage plays the detective. I don't know if it's in going through your notes. I feel like it is based on Sergeant Floth. I believe you said his name was, Mm -hmm. but I don't know if they actually use that name or if they created kind of like a fictionalized character, but it's Nicolas Cage and all of his Nicolas Cage glory. Mm -hmm. And then John Cusack, who I've been a fan of since I was like a kid plays Robert Hansen. And when I looked at the photo of the actual Robert Hansen compared to John Cusack, it's like pretty striking how similar they look. Yeah. But I caught the movie on cable one night and I was like, oh, this is really interesting. And at the end it was like, this is based on a true story. And that's when I was like, oh, let me read and see what's going on. But Vanessa Hudgens is in it. She plays Cindy Paulson. I had no idea it even happened until I saw that. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. That clip was Vanessa Hudgens that you showed me. Yeah. Yeah. When and we just watched- as a side note, John showed me a clip of the movie before we started recording. Yeah. That's Vanessa Hudgens. She was uh, Cindy Paulson in the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's wild. That didn't even look like her. There's a whole subplot. And again, I don't know if anything of this is true, but like there's a part in the movie where Robert Hansen pays some guy to like locate Cindy Paulson and try to murder her so that she can't identify him. Stuff like that, which I don't know if any of that's true or if it's just dramatic effect, but it's it's still it's definitely worth seeing. Like if you like Nick Cage being crazy Nick Cage or if you're a John Cusack fan, it's definitely worth watching. But when it ended and I was like, oh, my God, this is a true story that blew my mind a little bit because the, the body count is so high. And there are so many victims and it's just, I don't know. It was really sad. Yeah. He just, I think thought he was going to get away with all of this. Yeah. And I think there's an element of that and it really comes through in the movie, but I think there's an element of Hanson thinking that he's the smartest person. And we talk about Mm -hmm. that a lot where it's like, there's something about certain serial killers where they have this elevated sense of intelligence where I'm the smartest person in the room and you can't catch me because I'm too smart. And it just doesn't seem to work out for a lot of them, you know? Yeah. Well, where are you going to put this one on your deadbolt test, John? Now, this is going to be low for me on the deadbolt. I'm putting this maybe two or three just because, you know, I'm not a sex worker or anything like that. Like, I'm I'm definitely not in Hanson's, like, target pool. 
But I will say, like a lot of other cases that we've talked about, this is a really good example of the need to protect sex workers because they continue to be a vulnerable part of the population. Unfortunately, they're still targeted because there is no protection. And, you know, in 99.9% of places, it is a crime to practice sex work of that nature. And so these things are going to continue to happen. I think from a societal point of view or societal impact, we could do a lot better. I'm not checking my locks tonight, anything like that. But, you know, it's just we need to do we need to do a better job on that front. Interesting scale. I'm putting it like a 12 because the story is just insane to me that this could actually be true. Yeah. And I almost feel like I just like touched the surface, you know, and I, I, that was just, I mean, it was a lot of detail and I just feel like there was just so much behind everything that he did. And you can listen, there's um, a show on, and I put it in my references on investigation discovery, the ID channel um, called the mind of a monster. And it's Mm -hmm. basically the butcher baker. And it's like actual audio recording of his interviews and information. So like you can hear him say these things and like just how like nonchalant he is about the whole thing. It's just really creepy. I'm not going to rate it super high on my dead, but I'm going to give it about a five because I'm not a sex worker either. But there were women going missing in the earlier years that were, you know, leaving her dorm room, things like that. But it's definitely just a bizarre case. And I hope I did it some justice on our podcast this week, but... I'm going to watch the movie for sure. Oh, it's it's really good. But I think the the thing that I come back to is he started with the, you know, what would quote be like higher risk targets, right? Like people that mm-hmm. would have loved ones who would be looking for him. And just like, like he said, I had to shift, right? Because no one's looking out for these sex workers or these dancers or anything like that. And I think for me, that's where like the societal issue comes in. It's like he knew well enough that like, oh, there's nobody looking out for these people. They're easy prey, like legit prey. Like I can take them to a remote area, let them run around and hunt humans. You know what I mean? It's it's crazy. It's a crazy story. I think you did a really good job. You covered a lot of lot of detail and laid out a whole lot of facts. So thank you for bringing this one. And hopefully the listeners you know, like it just as much as I did. I really enjoyed it. I'm going to watch the movie for sure this weekend, for sure, for sure. I just don't want to do it alone because then I think my deadbolt test would be a lot higher. <laughs> yeah. And John Cusack is a really good actor. So he sells it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that is where we fall on the deadbolt test for this week. I'm going to go ahead and put it at two. Olivia's coming in at a five, but we want to know, as always, where does Robert Hansen, the butcher baker, fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to spend some time with you, get to know you. Like I said in the beginning of the episode, we were just talking about like what your favorite movie is inspired by an actual true crime case. Olivia came through right on topic completely accidentally, but it fits so well. So we'd love to get to know you. We'd love to interact with you. Come hang out with us on the Facebook group. So Olivia, this case had me feeling a little frozen inside. It was ice cold. I don't know about you. I could definitely use a warming up, maybe a five-star review. You got a five-star review for us this week? I do, John. You're so punny. I appreciate it every week. (laughs) I try. This week's five-star review comes from Mrs. M. They said a lot of shows have too much bantering back and forth before getting into the meat of the show. John and Olivia do a great job, and their love for true crime shows in the effort they put in. Their research really hooks you from the beginning. I recently discovered this podcast and have found it to be very fascinating. I always look forward to the next episode. So that's this week's palate cleanser to warm me up, John, from Mrs. M. Thank you, Mrs. M. Really appreciate you taking the time to leave that message and so happy that we're able to provide you the meat that you're looking for. (laughs) I can't. 
Please leave that. Please. (laughs) Please. Phrasing. When it comes to these true crime cases and, you know, again, we try not to banner too much, but just really happy that you're into it. And I just want to say thank you. I know that, you know, again, we talk about a lot, but we live busy lives with a million things to do every day. So the fact that you took time out of that busy day and left us a review, it really does mean the world to us. So thank you so much. Reach out. We would love to send you some goodies. We got some new window stickers, which are pretty cool. Uh, got some they coasters. Are so cool. But I have a question. What? My windows are really dark. So where can I put it other than my car window? Uh, any other window, coffee shop window, hospital window. Yeah. Any mark them all over know. the hospital. Yeah. Any other window, any, you know, any piece of glass that you can see through would probably work. Oh. So. <laughs> I'm on a mission this weekend. But yeah, we got tons of stuff. We'd love to get some stuff sent out to you. So feel free to reach out to us again. Hit us up on Instagram, check the locks pod. You can find us on Twitter, check the locks. If you're in our Facebook group, reach out and let us know there. And if you're not a social person, that's totally fine. Head over to checkthelockspod.com. Click that email button, send us an email. We would love to get you some stuff out. So thank you so much. And Olivia, if somebody wants to have their five-star review right on the podcast, what is the best way to do that? They need to go to the Apple Podcast app, go to our show's homepage, scroll down where you see all five stars, click all five stars, leave us a little review, tell us what you like about the podcast, and maybe yours will be the next one read on our episodes. That's right, exactly what Olivia said. Head over to Apple Podcasts, click those stars, leave us that review. And if you need a cheat code, you can go into the description of this episode. There's a little link there, make it super easy. We're at 149 reviews right now would love to hit 150 maybe even 200 so if you're listening you haven't left us a review hey go ahead and get it done it really helps out more than you know it gets us into other shows recommendations it helps other people find us a whole heck of a lot easier and helps us to grow this family this community so if you have taken the time to leave us a review again thank you so much for doing so if you have not click the link leave the review we would love to hear what you think And as always, if you are interested in financially supporting what we do here at Check the Locks, you can do so by becoming a patron. Head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks and sign up today. We got a lot of great tiers. We got stickers, t-shirts, exclusive coffee mugs, all sorts of stuff, plus ad-free episodes that you can actually listen to early. So if you hate the ads, you want to listen to the show Sunday night, maybe Tuesday night before they drop on the regular feed, you can do that by becoming a patron. So if you feel like helping us out, check it out, throw us a couple bones every month. It means the world to us and listen if you can't financially support the show that totally makes sense as well just listening sharing the show with your friends and family means just as much if not more so if that is you you're back with us every week you're listening you're interacting on the facebook group you're sharing the show just know that from the bottom of our hearts we could not thank you enough again this is all about growing our community getting in front of as many people as we can and helping this family to grow so thank you so much if that is you That is all that we have for this week's case, but please make sure that you are subscribed to Check the Locks on your favorite podcast app so that you never miss an episode. We will see you next week with a brand new, truly terrifying true crime case, but until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.